Hi listeners, before we start this episode, I wanted you to know that this will be my last quarter. Over the next five episodes, it will be the last time you're going to hear this miraculous voice. However, we have a new EBC member who will be taking over. You'll find out more about that person in the future. Carlos El Guapo Gomez and I started this in July of 2017, and since then we've done more than 2,000 unique listens with about 400 listens per episode for the last couple of episodes. I'm extremely grateful for each and every one of you listeners. If you have enjoyed any of these episodes and maybe taken away a good lesson, then my ask is the same. Please leave us a review on either Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud if you have an Android. One simple ask for one simple minute. Thank you. Support. Support. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the The Kellogg Innovation Entrepreneurship Initiative. Think bravely. Think differently. Think collaboratively. People who are passionate and they can find that passion in something they're doing, that's to me the difference maker. Those folks are hungry. There's always a million things to do. You need somebody who's just willing to just go out and do it. Hello and welcome to My Startup Journey, a show where we interview Northwestern entrepreneurs, builders, visionaries, and classmates. Today we are talking to Eddie Tao, CEO of eRetirements, VentureCat competitor, and recent NU grad. I'd like you to imagine you're 65 years old. You're looking forward to retirement and you want to enjoy your time. Maybe you're looking for someplace warm. Maybe you're looking for someplace very new. Or maybe you're happiest right where you are. eRetirements is a website that can help you solve those questions. Your parents or grandparents would take a long survey, about 20 minutes, that asks everything from golf interest to humidity preference, and from there it spits out what it calculates to be the best match for your retirement location. Initially created by Jared Sharon, the company is now run by Eddie Tao. Unlike most of our episodes, this is very unique in that Eddie took over an idea rather than being the one to create it. Here's him talking about his relationship with Jared. I always love telling the story, uh, both of them. Jared um, was uh, kind of the original founder of eRetirements, and um, I mean, you know him. He's what, like an awesome guy. Uh, just uh, visionary would be uh, a word that comes to mind, especially when it comes to eRetirements. But, um, you know, it really started even prior to Kellogg with Jared um, and his buddy Justin, who's um, our COO. But they were helping their parents move. Uh, their parents had recently retired. They were trying to move to their quote-unquote dream home. Um, you know, they, they had put in literally, quite literally a lifetime of hard work and they wanted to find out uh, what place would be best for them to live out supposedly what should be the best years of their lives. And so what they found is um, they saw online a lot of different reports like top 10 places to retire or, you know, whatever from US News and World Report or AARP or whatever. And what they realized is that these uh, reports, they're not actually that useful because what I might think is fantastic, you might hate. I might love the beach. You might be like, I never want to go near sand in my life. Um, so their parents found the decision process incredibly difficult to make. And Jared's parents, unfortunately, they ended up moving to a place um, that just didn't fit what they needed. Uh, it looked great on paper. It was on all these lists. But when it came down to what they specifically wanted, it just didn't fit the bill. So. Out of that painful experience came the idea of eRetirements. And so eRetirements is a web-based platform. It gives you personalized um, uh, recommendations on cities that would best fit what you're looking for if you're gonna relocate. 
And what's unique about it is it's, it's focused on the baby boomer market, which of course, as you know, is um, you know, the largest demographic in the US. Four million people retiring every year, 40% of those folks uh, relocate when they retire. Um, and so we've got a proprietary algorithm that generates uh, potential places for folks to live. And then we have built um, uh, more high touch um, services as well to go around that. So, so that's kind of the backstory there. For me and Jared, uh, really, I came from a, a bit of a different path. So um, coming into school, I wanted to do the consulting thing, did that for the summer. I, I did love it. I absolutely loved it. Um, but going into my second year, you know, I was fortunate enough to have an offer in hand. I was wondering, you know, what the hell I'm going to do for the second year at Kellogg? Classes are great, but I, I came to school to really challenge myself. Consulting, uh, while different, is not that much different from what I was doing before what is the one thing that I can learn the most from? And in my mind, it was go to a startup. I was entrepreneurial growing up. Um, it was something that I always had a passion for, but it just kind of got sidetracked during my career. What are some things um, you did growing up? <laughs> it's so funny, it's a, uh, yeah, I was like the hustler kid in high school. You know, I was like, <laughs> you ever watched like Recess the Cartoon? I was like the hustler kid, you know? Uh, my, my fraternity uh, nickname was Black Market. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, not, nothing actually black market, but... Did um, you take Bitcoin back then? No, I wish I did. I, uh, I wish I did. I was a little bit um, behind the times, I guess. But, but yeah, you know, eBay stores, um, did the whole textbook thing, reselling textbooks. In high school, I started out reselling XCTI 83s uh, from graduating seniors who uh, had no intention of ever taking a math class again. So, um, so that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, my, my dad started his own business and, um, you know, it kind of started with that. But... But yeah, so going into the second year of Kellogg, I, I, I just wanted to get involved in startup. And so I went to Linda Dara, um, who you know. Um, Linda runs entrepreneurship for Kellogg and phenomenal. Um, oh, she's amazing. Phenomenal. She's I, amazing. I can't say enough good things about her. Yeah. But she said, hey, Jared, um, classmate, he started retirements about a year ago. Um, he's getting into a point where it's time for him to start expanding the team. Um, why don't you go talk to him? So. I spoke to Jared. He wasn't looking for anything in particular. He had just hired a CMO, and you know he was like, "Well, you know, we don't have a position necessarily, but if you're interested in in kind of getting involved, we'll figure something out." I said, "Sure, let's start out. You know, let's just work together for a month, see if if we jive." Uh, I picked up a couple of different projects. One thing with startups is is there's never an end of amount of work uh, that that is there to be done. So. We started with that, the relationship went really well, um, came on full-time uh, back in early of, of, of November, uh, the second year, and haven't looked back. I love that you both didn't even know each other. No, it was it crazy. It wasn't like you were uh, both in the same cohort no. or in a club, you just didn't even know each other. And Linda, uh, she put you two together and then Boom, boom. What was your first interaction like when you and when you met Jared? Where was it? Were you were you like I don't know what's gonna happen? What it was funny. Uh, yeah, so um, it was we. I think we both came in with zero expectation that anything was gonna come out of it. Right. <laughs> he wasn't looking for somebody. I had been briefed by Linda that he wasn't necessarily looking for anybody. You know, he was expanding, but he had already filled some roles. And so we both went in very casually. I, I still remember it was the uh, that little tiny back room, that back glass room in the, uh, in the old atrium. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we met there um, over lunch, you know, just, just grabbed a quick lunch, coffee or whatever, uh, chatted 20 minutes, seemed like a nice guy, but you know, that was it, right? And, and uh, he, he explained eerie times to me in that meeting, and I do remember walking away saying, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, from a market standpoint, what better market would you want 
um, you have the largest demographic who has all the money of, of the country um, looking to spend it because they want kind of their dream. And, and from an impact standpoint, it really did resonate to me that, you know, my parents are getting older. My, my father retired recently. It's like, yeah, you, these should be the best years of your life. You should, you know, have the resources to make that happen. So what was the first project you had to do and to show that you like wanted to hustle on this? Yeah, it's, um, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's, uh, it takes me back. The first project that I worked on, it was not a glamorous project by any means, right? Um, I think a lot of people say, oh, startup, especially like a tech startup, a web-based one, it's gonna be something super sexy. And it's like, no, the first thing that I had actually was generating content for the site, specifically uh, doing interviews with uh, retirees who have relocated who are living in one of the cities uh, that we have on our site. And so it was a lot of cold calling visitor bureaus, cold calling community centers, um, generating lists um, of different avenues of, okay, how would I get somebody who's interested in talking to me and talking about why their city is so great? Um, and so, yeah, so that was the first project. It was not glamorous by any means, but it actually was, I give Jared a lot of credit, a great way for me to get familiar with e-retirements and the demographic. The best way to do it is to talk to your customer. And this was a prime example of where I'm talking to them, learning about what they love about their city, about why they moved there. Um, what, what's important to them and, and yeah it was a great way to start it off. So this is a very different type of story from the other episodes. For the episodes I've interviewed founders. Right. They came up with the idea because of this and this is a great one where you're not one of the initial founders but you're still a founder in the sense of building up the company but um, you know like you talked about being attracted to the market but since it's not your baby you have a different set of lenses that you can look at the problem. You can see you're not blinded by pride or by just having so much vision when you can actually look down and look at the company. So when you first came into retirements, was there something that you noticed that you said, you know what, we do need to fix this or I do want to change this? That's a good question. Um, it's a really good question. I agree having a fresh look at things, it's, it's, um, it's definitely beneficial. And we've had folks come in and out of your retirements over the past year and every person who's come in, they've had kind of a new idea or a new take on something. What I will say to directly answer your question is, I don't think there was anything, to be honest, at first that I said, hey, we've got to completely drastically change this. I think um, one thing, if you're coming into a startup um, early on, but you're not necessarily the person who had the idea in the first place, there's definitely some time where you have to appreciate the amount of work that everybody else has put in. You've got to come up to speed and, and learn kind of the business. Um, but there's little things, right? There's little things. So for example, one of the, the next projects that I worked on early on was looking at the UX and the UI of the site design, looking at our profiles for our users. And um, Jared actually specifically asked me, hey, you're coming in with a fresh set of eyes. What do you think about our profile? How would you do it differently? And um, I actually mocked up a complete kind of rethinking of what a profile would look like based on other sites, based on, um, you know, sites in tangential areas. So the not as an example, um, you know, other things like that. And so we ended up incorporating some aspects, some aspects made absolutely no sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's small things here and there. And then eventually you get to a point where you're up to speed and you can, you can make a bigger impact. Getting the right team. Yeah. So you have mentioned briefly, you kind of hinted at it that there were people who were in and out of your retirements. What, why do you think, I mean, it was just an, a good fit or expectations were a little bit different or the pace or, or whatever. What were some examples where people just 
wasn't the right fit or where there are people who came in it's like yes these are the people that we definitely want on the team yeah um it's a good question i'd say you know i think we've been fairly lucky in the folks that have come in and, and have left us most of the folks that have left have been for personal reasons um not uh not related to kind of their performance per se um and so that's been nice what i will say is that the thing that's really stood out for the folks who have stayed with the team and have and have really done well it's just a passion for for what you're doing and you you can find the passion in a lot of places it can either be the customer that you're serving it can be the business model it can be the, the specific type of work you're doing if it's if it's dev work whatever um, but people who are passionate they can find that passion in something they're doing that's to me the difference maker those folks are hungry there's always a million things to do you need somebody who's just willing to just go out and do it What's an example of this passion you're talking about that you see in an intern? So I'll give you a good example. We had a, um, a junior developer join us uh, for the summer. Um, great guy. Uh, he had a passion for learning. He was, you know, listen, he's, he's an intern. He's, he's a younger guy, phenomenally gifted and intelligent. But, you know, his work experience is, is it's close to nil, right? Um, but he had a passion for learning. So any project that I gave him, he say, sure, I'll take a stab at that. It didn't matter if it was front end, didn't matter if it was back end, didn't matter if it was, you know, um, whatever it might be, he was there and he took the time to learn it. Um, and listen, the, the work wasn't necessarily perfect. Things took longer than um, he expected them to take, but there was that passion there. And, and he actually pretty much got done everything that we asked him to because he, he wanted to learn it. What's the team makeup right now? Yeah, yeah. So Jared, unfortunately, um, speaking about pivoting and, and changes, um, he uh, had to go back to McKinsey. Uh, he was sponsored coming into Kellogg, knew that there was kind of a timeline in place. And so, you know, he made that tough decision to go back to McKinsey, um, which not, not a bad place to go. <laughs> he's doing all right. Um, and he's still involved from an advisory role. He'll still hop on calls and stuff, even though, you know, no voting interest or anything like that. But he's still involved. Um, so, yeah, so right now the team is myself, uh, Justin, and Jaron. Uh, Jaron's our CTO, HBS grad um, with a coding background, and, and he's still on, and, and Justin as well as our COO. Um, the interesting thing is that we're a very remote team. Jaron's out in San Francisco. I'm here in Chicago. Justin's in New York. So mm. uh, we're spanning the country right now in terms of our wow. operations. But <laughs> a very small team, but, but yeah, we're, we're getting the job done. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that national headquarters. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> hey, Chicago's right in the middle, you know, it makes sense. Well, well, can you tell me the story, though, about um, Jared having to fire his brother? This yeah. sounds really funny. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great story. I love telling it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Jared uh, brought in his brother Logan at the start. They needed an MVP at the time, and they had this idea of e-retirements, you know, from... from um, coming into school with it and they said hey we actually need to make this a reality so Jared's brother Logan um, he you know he has a full-time job but, but he's got a deaf background and so he was instrumental in that first basic MVP build but what they soon realized is that if you want to grow the company you want to take this from kind of a pet project to like a legitimate website startup and, and go down that path you need to bring somebody in that's a little bit more full-time with a little bit more specific experience in the space so it was very, very awkward conversation. Uh, it got to the point where they were ready to, to move on from that MVP, from that beta, and, and they found a, a replacement. And yeah, it was, it was an awkward Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure it actually was over Thanksgiving. So yeah, so, so fun story. Uh, yeah, they broke the wishbone. It's like, hey, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Just slip one out, slip one in there. <laughs> yeah. 
when we return. Eddie tells us more about being pushed to pivot e-retirements, evaluating that, and determining whether or not to do so. Stay tuned for more My Startup Journey. If you had two versions of a website, how do you know which one people would more quickly understand? Could they find the information they were looking for? How long would it take them? Built for UX testing, Usability Hub allows you to see which version of your site or app users prefer, where would they click, how many do they actually want, and much more. At $2.50 per targeted tester, it's a great way to gain insight about your designs and user interfaces. Sign up at our EBC site to get 40% off of three months or do a pay-as-you-go model. Hey, if you're an entrepreneur or working for a startup and you're looking to grow your business, stay organized, or help with presentations, you should probably listen right now. In this segment, we call this Entrepreneur Tools, and it's a chance for me to tell you about some cool tools that can help you do all that. Not necessarily a tool, but something you should know if you live in Illinois. I've started three businesses in Illinois, and the filing fee to start has always been about $500. Well, as of this year, that number has dropped to 150 with an annual filing fee dropping from 250 to 75 If you're interested in learning more about the process, go to kellogg.campusgroups.com slash ebcew slash steps to be legit. All hyphenated in the steps to be legit part. If you go to this site, you can see all of the things you need to do and the order that you need to do them in to actually get your business off the ground and to make it legit. Classmates have already told me how much they refer to that as a reference guide to do exactly what they need to do and it serves as a blueprint for their business. We are back. For those tuning in, Eddie is talking about how he came to join the e-retirements team and eventually took over as CEO. We started to talk a lot about teams and he had some great advice around bringing on new members. But before we dive into that, let's go back and talk more about the business model of e-retirements. So e-retirements, um, how it works, right, is there's a website, e-retirements, and I can put, I fill out some survey on what I'm looking for, my demographic, what, and then what happens? Right, right. So. The sites, it's it's really interesting because, and this is kind of the supreme example to me, if anybody ever asked me what you learn uh, from from a startup, it's, it's that pivot and it's that, just the amount of times you have to fail to get it right. Um, but to answer your question, somebody comes to the site, um, they either come in from our blog, so we have a, a blog where we post content each week from contributors and, and content that we generate ourselves. So we have folks coming in through the blog we have folks coming in uh, on our cities pages. So we have 100 plus cities in a database and each city has um, uh, a web page with a ton of different information. Either we've generated or pulled from third party sources. And then, uh, or they come in through the assessment. So if they come in through the assessment, they come in, they say, where sh I don't know where I wanna retire, where should I go? They fill out uh, our assessment. It's a 70 plus assessment. It takes 15 to 20 minutes. It's not for the fan of part. It's in depth. It asks every question, it. right? <laughs> You've seen it. it. It asks every question from like, what is your preference for humidity to uh, do you have an RV? Um, and based on that, we have collected answers or data points on every single one of those questions that we ask on the 100 plus cities in our database. And we use a points-based algorithm. You can designate things as a top priority or whatever you want, and it'll give you recommended cities. You take a step back, monetization, 
strategy for us was the business was the biggest example of how we had to pivot. So we started with lead gen, as you mentioned. Um, folks would come, they'd fill out the assessment, and what that gives us is that gives us 70 plus data points of everything that this person cares about, um, whether it be their income to if they like golf. Um, we are very sensitive with the data of our users, especially in this day and age. Um, we definitely do not give that data out to any third parties. But that being said, we can definitely put our users in touch um, with third party partners for things where they have a mutual interest. So we, uh, for example, if somebody puts down that um, they haven't uh, pulled together a financial plan for retirement yet and they want to speak to a financial advisor, we put them in touch with a financial advisor. Very cool. What we found with that uh, monetization strategy is that it's a, it's got a very long lead time. It takes a very long time to convert these things. And so to keep the doors open in the short term, uh, we started a higher touch model, a concierge model. And so what this really is, is it's an effectively a research consulting um, arm that we've built where uh, users who are really serious about moving, they're moving within the next six months, they need to find a place to go. Um, they'll call us, we'll do uh, phone consultations and we will do the bulk of the research to figure out where specifically uh, is going to work for them. Um, add on research on different active adult communities, specific real estate, whatever it might be, we're there to help them out. And so uh, we charge for the service and, and that's helped us get money uh, in the door up front. And that was a huge pivot that we did, um, frankly, and it, and it took months to, to make the decision to pivot and, and execute on that. The lead gen thing, I mean, we were knocking on doors, we had calls and, and we had a ton of meetings with a everybody from ARP to Fidelity and, you know, it, it was fantastic. But when it's going to be two years until you get a paycheck, it's just not feasible for a startup, right? And so making that pivot to the concierge, it is much more so a web-enabled service versus a pure tech play. Um, but it was one that we felt was the right one to go with. I mean, we'll see if it works. <laughs> Time will tell. We, we just kind of finished the beta and, and we're starting to launch it uh, full scale across our users. And, and yeah, we'll see what happens. So how did you all determine first that you needed to pivot and even where to pivot to? Yeah, I mean, it was a very tough uh, decision. We had been pursuing the lead gen route for months and we had signed partnerships, but we had not brought in any dollars to the door. And we sat back and we said, hey, listen, this is great, but we don't have two years. And it, was, and it was a very difficult decision to go down that because we had invested so much into that and we had worked so hard to build up these partnerships. Um, actually, so after I'd moved out of the special projects, uh, we decided that it would make sense for me to focus more on kind of business development. Um, and so that became my bread and butter. And so for me personally, it was very difficult to say, hey, I've just spoken to all these people and I've, and I've gotten these you know, handshake agreements and, and contracts in place. We're gonna take a step back from all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just had to be done. And you know, it, if, if you're staring there and, and there's, no, there's no cash coming into your bank account, I mean, that's, that's it, right? You gotta make a decision. Yeah. Did you right. ever have any, I guess, angst around the future of your retirements? Yeah, ton, ton of angst. I mean, I, that's one thing. I, I think I have a ton of angst every single day. <laughs> and, I, and I think any, any, anybody running a startup or involved in a startup would, would Dude, tell you the same thing. Sounds like you need to retire. <laughs> one day, one day, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's a ton of angst because there's a lot of uncertainty, but that's where that passion really comes into play. If you're passionate about what you're doing and you have a strong belief in what you're doing, you just put your head down and you say, okay, well, all I need to do is make it to the next day. Um, I can't tell you how many startup stories I've heard, how many folks that I've spoken to in the Chicago tech community 
who have told me, hey, you know, there have been multiple times where we were one day away from not making payroll. Um, and, you know, and, and you just had to put your head down and get through that day and then you keep moving. And, and you know, uh, Howard Tolman, the CEO of 1871, he's got this quote that I love. It's, you know, it, the startup is an, it's an overnight success that was 10 years in the making. Um, and I think that's so true because people don't see the 10 years. They only see that IPO. They only see that acquisition, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, a lot of angst, but, but yeah, you just got to keep grinding. If you yeah. could go back in time and if you just first met Jared and he didn't have this idea and let's, but you both were buddies and you decided to do this together, what would you, what would you have done differently for your retirements? Whew, tough question. Um, I'm going to give an, I'm going to give an answer. It'll be an honest answer. And I think it's one that, that Jared would almost definitely agree with. I would say bring folks in faster. Mm-hmm. I think, especially given the so, uh, given the type of the person that aspires to be an entrepreneur, it's usually people who are go getters. It's people who are passionate about an idea, no matter what other people say. It's people who, frankly, can get a lot done independently. I think Jared and the team um, got so much done that first year. But if we were there together, I would say, let's hire faster versus slower. Let's try to expand our human capital and the brains that we can put behind this operation from day one. Let's not wait and say, hey, I can do it myself, which is definitely true. And Jared definitely did. um, And the team definitely did. But get more folks in on the ground up. And I think as long as they're the right people, it gives you a lot more stability and it gives you a lot more leeway to try more things. What are some classes that you have taken that you felt contributed to your decisions to grow e-retirements or some things you've taken away yeah um in terms of classes i mean carter casts new venture discovery phenomenal so it was it was interesting because as somebody who came in to a company that was already a year old i was taking new venture discovery after e-retirements is way past that stage but still taking that course and learning kind of the fundamentals and walking through those steps um was hugely valuable and more so than the class i would say the interactions with professor mm-hmm. cast um have been some of the best you know that i've had at kellogg you know i would say uh professor cast professor wartman and of course linda dara i mean they are phenomenal resources and and they almost they always make the time to speak with us and give us advice so um new venture discovery was fantastic uh craig wartman's uh class selling yourself and your your ideas um First time he'd ever taught that class, phenomenal class. class. I mean, tactical, tangible things of how to sell um, that you can apply literally the next day. Um, So those two classes, I would say, definitely go down as as my as my top two. For discovery, what was your idea? Oh, it was fun. It was uh, it was around food, Uh, and and see, that's the thing about discovery. It's it's interesting because the original idea that we had, or the original problem that we had it led us to a potential solution that was not even close to what I had envisioned starting. So the problem was just kind of food waste in the house, figuring out um, how to cook with the things on hand. That evolved into um, how to just cook like meals that, that weren't boring and, and the amount of time that somebody spends in finding ingredients, finding recipes to go buy the ingredients, just that entire process. And so we ended up with, um, you know, a, a, a recipe um, planner effectively for the week. Now, do I think that's like the best idea ever? Probably not, to be honest. <laughs> There's a reason why we didn't pursue it, but I think it was really good walking through the problem and seeing 
how many different solutions you can get to figure to, to solve potentially solve one problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you bring up a, an interesting point that I'd, I'd like to maybe spend a little bit of time talking about is so being part of EBC for a couple of years now and being in both downtown and Evanston and doing all these as many cool classes that are in the key program as I could and you not only doing the same but also being here with 1871 I, I would like to have maybe a little discussion on what makes a good team or a successful team maybe that's a better way to say it what I think successful teams do are those that what they do is is they over communicate and they put themselves out there so they're willing to grind, but they're also willing to, to take that risk of potentially embarrassing themselves and, and trying something different, speaking to folks um, that that clearly know more than they do. So at 1871, unbelievable network of mentors, workshops, training, and education to get folks who don't know what they're doing up to a point where they can they can run with this with this startup and this idea they have. The successful teams are the ones that take advantage of that. There you have it. That's Eddie Tao from E Retirement. When Eddie's not working on e-retirement, he's still surrounded by entrepreneurs as he works at 1871 and gets to interact with them every day. He has worked to strengthen the partnership between 1871 and major corporations in Chicago, so maybe one day he'll be connecting your startup with the big business. Until then, don't be afraid. Build your dreams. Learn from it. Retweak. And always, keep dreaming. Have your parents taken it? Retirement? Taking yeah, yeah, they take it. Yeah. Yeah. What does it say? They, they, they said that they should probably not move. Gave, <laughs> <laughs> gave them all like East Coast uh, locations and, and, and around DC, etc. And, and yeah, I mean that's probably it, it made me feel better, right? It's uh, it's telling them not to move, and that's really fun.